Pages of Pim Better Podcast. Greetings, Voyagers. Welcome to the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. This is episode number 147. Date of recording is Thursday, March 19th, and it is day four of quarantine. I was going to say of quarantine. Uh, well, no, I, I just said it. Les, how do you feel on day four of quarantine? I, I feel all right, actually. A little sore from the running. No, we're being socially responsible, so you're running inside across the apartment. Oh, um, then I feel distant socially. Mm. I also feel very distant socially and clean and free of germs. So today I recorded a conversation, and I really loved this. This is one of my favorites in a really long time. Uh, the gentleman who is the guest on today's podcast, his name is Oliver Perkovich, and he is the CEO and founder of Skatistan. Do you know what Skatistan is, Leslie? No. Can you tell me? Wow. You are such a wonderful co-host. Skatistan is an organization that provides education and skateboarding skills to children that are disadvantaged. Right now, they are located in Afghanistan, in South Africa, and in Cambodia. There's a documentary that came out, I think, last year. It won the documentary short. I think it won the, the Oscar. And it's probably looked that up. Well, sometimes we do this off the cuff, you know? So we're doing this off the cuff. It won an award, a very prestigious award. And it, what he's doing is absolutely amazing. I mean, I'm interested in it, as I'm sure you are, because of our ties to education. But also... I don't even know if you knew this about me. I dabbled, I dibble dabbled as a young person in skateboarding. Did you Did you ever? I did not know that about I, you. I, did you ever skateboard though? No, because I'm not really coordinated. But you're not really coordinated, so yeah, I couldn't see it working out for you. You, you, you did a, the pogo. Pogo sticking is very different from skateboarding. Yeah, but you need to be coordinated. Yes, but it's a very different skill set entirely. Well, you just have to jump up. It's like, kind of like a trampoline. No, no. It's not just about jumping. There's there's balance. There's more to it. I don't think anybody really pogos in 2020. Maybe I should bring it back. Well, I don't know. There's Fortnite and stuff like that. I don't think anybody's pogoing. Th those are apples and oranges, just different things entirely. Well, yeah. But moving on. Oliver's incredible organization is providing education. Um, something that I thought was really interesting that he brought up was that, and he didn't even talk about like people who could potentially be radicalized, but when I had Ruby on from Indonesia, she talked a lot about young men who were becoming radicalized because they, had, they didn't have anything that they belonged to. Uh, often they came from poverty and often they were estranged from their families and so they had no group membership. And so I hadn't even thought of that coming into this conversation. But even providing kids with something to belong to and group membership and something that they can rally behind in a community, I think will likely go a long way and even potentially you know, preventing people from getting involved in something nefarious and violent and going down a path that they shouldn't go down. So, Yeah, that's hierarchy of needs. Exactly. Maslow. Fitting in. You're a genius, Liz. So I really enjoyed this conversation with Oliver. Um, please go to the show notes for this episode, as always, to find the links to everything that we talked about. 
in those notes too, or on the website, you can find how you can give to Skatistan. There are tiers to becoming a citizen. So I mentioned this later in the conversation, but if you donate, send me a screenshot of your donation and you will, everyone that does that will get uh, stickers, but one or two folks will be put into a raffle and you'll get stickers and a shirt. So I'll do that for you because I think it's a really cool thing that he's doing and I would love to see you participate in it and to become a citizen. Okay. I think that's it. You can also give to this podcast. Actually, give to them first. So all I'll say is I have a Patreon. If you're able and willing to, you can donate to that. But if, let's say, you've got 10 bucks this month that's spare, give it to them before you give it to me. All right. Okay. We're signing off until day whatever, five or six or seven of quarantine when you hear from us again. Enjoy this conversation with Oliver. Well, first of all, man, thank you so much for doing this. I know you, you're likely super busy, and it's also a really crazy time right now in the in, in the whole world. So I uh, appreciate you giving me the time. I'm uh, very very happy to to speak with you today. Cool, cool. So I've obviously like I work in education. I'm now uh, working remotely. Everything's gone digital. All this distance learning stuff. So I'm home, and I've been <laughs> in addition to always sending out emails to people to be guests. Like I'm just shooting around the internet and I found your organization and I was like, wow, this is a really amazing thing. Uh, so I'd love to be able to pick your brain about it a little bit if that's cool. Absolutely. Before I even get into the organization itself, I've checked out uh, your information on TED and some other stuff about you. I'd love for you to sort of recap uh, how you got involved in the world of skating to begin with as a child? So uh, skateboarding uh, was something that I came into contact with at a very early age. Uh, my cousin was a skateboarder in the 70s and um, when I was around five years old and he was probably in his uh, a teenager, um he he had a, a skateboard in the corner of his room, and uh, I asked if I could have a go on it. And I I absolutely loved uh, going on the skateboard. And uh, he then gave me his uh, skateboard when I was when I was just before my sixth birthday. And uh, we then moved from Australia to Papua New Guinea, and I brought the brought the skateboard with me and. Uh, I, uh, yeah, I've, I've been skateboard. That was 1980. So I've been skateboarding now for, yeah, 40 years. Wow. Why, why did your family move to Papua New Guinea? So uh, my dad was a volunteer there um, as a mechanical engineering student. And then we went back as a family in, in 1980 and we lived there for, for five years. Um, the, it was an initial contract of a year and a half and us as a family just uh, loved it, loved it so much that uh, um, my dad took two consequent, um, two 
contracts after the after the first one. So it was a, actually a period of, of four and a half to, to five years in in total. So nineteen, they were my primary school years. Wow! Uh, until about age ten, and then uh, and then I went back to back to Australia. I mean, I, I would I could be incorrect, but I would imagine now in in twenty twenty that maybe there wouldn't be like a really big skate culture there. But in the 80s, were you like a total novel- novelty to see like this kid uh, riding around town on a skateboard? No, it was uh, surprising that when I brought the my, my skateboard to school, so it was an international school um, in Ley, which is the second largest city in Papua New Guinea, that many other children at the school also brought their um, brought their skateboards to school the next day. I was the only one with a fiberglass skateboard. Everybody else had uh, um, polypropylene, the, the plastic, uh, the plastic yeah. version of what's today called a penny board. But I guess that was just the shape in the 70s. And uh, I had, I had the, the fanciest skateboard, but I certainly wasn't the only one with a, with a skateboard. And it actually started a little bit of a craze at my school and uh, very fast uh, got got banned. Whoa. I wasn't allowed to bring the skateboard to school anymore. Um, the, the, the basketball court was one of the very few smooth surfaces in the in the, in the whole city that I'd, I'd found to ride on. So after that, there wasn't, there wasn't so much skateboarding. Wow. That's fascinating, man. That's really cool. Um, so how did you then end up in Afghanistan? So there, um, I'd left Australia, um, in around 2006, uh, with, with my girlfriend at the time. And, uh, she was, she went to to study in in um, at Central European University in at, in Budapest, and, so, and then after that, I was traveling around a little bit, and then she studied international development and applied for jobs in different places, and one of those places was Afghanistan, and uh, I was uh, yeah, I was I was excited to. I was excited to go to Afghanistan as well, and I convinced her to to take the job in Kabul, and I followed her there. So that's uh, that's how that's basically how I ended up um, in Afghanistan. So I didn't have the I didn't go to Afghanistan with the idea of starting skateboard um, a skateboarding project or skaterstan. Um, I'm I've yeah I'm a lifelong skateboarder, so of course I brought a brought a skateboard with me. Wow. Now, I mean, I've, I've, I haven't been to the Middle East, uh, really, really want to go, but at least my perception is that there are a lot of, uh, traditional conservative cultures and skateboarding is something, whether it's accurate or not is, has always been sort of like associated with like subversion in society, right? Like it's a, it's a gateway to loud music. It's a gateway to punk rock. It's a gateway to subcultures. Uh, did that clash at all with the culture in Afghanistan or did you see kids already skating there when you got there? No, there weren't, there weren't any, um, kids, uh, skateboarding in, in Afghanistan when I, when I went there at all. Um, it was something that, uh, people had maybe seen on, on television, but, um, skateboards didn't really, didn't really exist in, And uh, with, uh, I was very aware that for uh, basically I started little little skateboarding sessions, 
and I knew to make these sessions successful, um, the children would have to continue to be allowed to skateboard by their parents. And so I was very aware of introducing anything that could be perceived as Western culture. Yeah. And so with the skateboard, I didn't bring any music or any magazines or any videos or any any skateboarding culture at at all together with the skateboard. It was simply a board. Wow, that's really interesting, man. Um, Even to the point of not actually showing them, uh, showing the kids tricks at all, letting them just sort of explore this thing that was a, a board with four wheels. And that that really helped in terms of allowing it to be be accepted in, in Afghan society because I think a lot of people are very, very worried about influences from other countries. Of course. Have you seen, I guess, the prevalence of it increasing? Like are there skate parks and things like that now? No, I mean, the skate, skateboarding is um, really just, uh, limited to what Skaterstan um, does with the with our skate schools in Kabul and in Mazar Sharif in the in the north of the country, but um, we've been able to grow our our programs so much that skateboarding is actually the largest sport for girls in Afghanistan and wow. in in northern Afghanistan. Um, in Mazar Sharif, we've actually got the highest concentration of female skateboarders anywhere in the world. Wow! There's nowhere else in the world that 700 girls come to the same spot and skateboard every week. So uh, while yeah, so skateboarding is very unique to Skaterstan within Afghanistan, but it's also something of a something of a force. That's amazing. So I guess uh, I think that's a cool transition into I guess. What is the need that you identified and how does, why was Skatistan created and and how does it address that need? The, the, the need that I first identified was the fact that that young people made up such a huge part of the, um, the, the country, yet they weren't being engaged with in any meaningful way. And that really just didn't make sense because um, young people seem to me like the ones that would be most open to to learning and um, having the the skills to be able to then also create positive change in their in their communities in their um, in the in the country over overall. Uh, half the population in Afghanistan in 2007 when I started was under the age of um, 16. It's now gone even younger um, over, overall and 70% of the population are under, under 25. So it was, it, it was very clear to me that resources were, were simply going to older people that didn't really necessarily have um, the best um, the, the best intentions for the for the country overall. Children believed in their country and wanted to build it up. Um, adults simply wanted to see what they could get the, get for themselves, and uh, they it, it just seemed to me like a very very obvious um, an obvious need to to engage young people. And because I didn't see other people doing it. Um, I, I, and I saw that the uh, the um, skateboarding was something that that young people were very interested in, both boys and girls. 
um, I, I, I pursued it. Um, the, the kids then also told me that they actually really wanted to go to school. And for me, it, it seemed very obvious that they weren't going to be able to solve complex problems in their in, in Afghanistan without uh, without quality education. And most of education in Afghanistan is is based on rote, rote learning. Um, simply repeating what the, the teacher is saying is not going to develop critical thinking skills. It's not going to solve those incredibly complex problems that they're going to going to inherit. So, um, pairing up um, this ability to engage the most important uh, sector of the population, young people, and pairing that together with um, uh, building their skills with uh, with quality education and um, incorporating uh, creative creative thinking and um, creative skills uh, seemed seemed really like the the way forward something that was something that was needed and um, some, something that would uh, create positive change in the country that everybody so desperately wanted. Wow. Have you uh, have you been around long enough to have a kid? I guess like graduate out of your program. Like, do you do you go like is it you know like a K to twelve primary school education? Yeah, the 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 children as part that are part of our program are all between the ages of five and seventeen. And because we've operated now for twelve years, um, there, there's quite a quite a few that have been part of our program and gone gone on the kids that have got jobs in television studios that have become engineers that have that traveled also then out of uh, out of Afghanistan um, but also simply really really difficult um, uh, children from really difficult circumstances um, for example from our, our back to school program that we um, that we run for internally displaced uh, children, so basically refugees within their own country. So they're escaping war from other parts of Afghanistan. They end up in Kabul, and uh, we do an accelerated learning program where they do four years of regular school in one year with us. And this then um, this then allows them to go back into the public school system, um, even up the age of uh, eleven or twelve. And one of these uh, one of these students um, should actually become become a nurse, which is wow. incredible. And we only found that out because a kid got hurt skateboarding, <laughs> and uh, the, the nurse was the person looking after the the, the the new student and said, "Well, I I I actually yeah, I used to also be a, a student at skater stand. So that was wow. a, that was that was a really amazing amazing story to hear." Wow. I mean, I, I might, again, and this is, uh, I really appreciate this. Like, I, I might be speaking from a place of ignorance because, you know, I haven't been there, but uh, of what at least, you know, I've read and think I know is that often uh, in poverty, parents sometimes have to prioritize their male children over female children in terms of sending them to school and girls oftentimes are learning like sort of older traditional 
roles for for girls and for women. And then also like, you know, it's it's Pakistan, it's not Afghanistan, but I think there are some similarities here. Uh, I know like probably one of the most famous people from that region tied to education is Malala Yousafzai, who's, you know, she wrote the book, I Am Malala. She's been all over the news for years, um, but she was actually shot. And she talked about the dangers of some young girls and young women trying to get an education. So I'm wondering if you found that to be true, that there are barriers for young women to get into education. Uh, and if you see like what you're doing is something that's really sort of challenging those traditional gender roles. There, there are incredible barriers to um, girls accessing education in, uh, I mean, in Afghanistan and also in other places that we that we work, like Cambodia and South Africa. Um, in Afghanistan, there's 3.7 million children out of school, and um, yeah, 60 percent, 60 percent of of those are, are girls. So it's a it's a it's a it's, it, it happens again and again and again that um, children from poor families, um, the boys will be prioritised over the girls in terms of accessing um, education. And in many cases, the parents haven't gone to school themselves. So it's quite hard for them to prioritise education overall for their, for their children because they don't necessarily see the, see the value in it. Um, so breaking that cycle, uh, which is, and, and it's come from, you know, many years of, of war in the country, that's, that, that's something that's difficult to do. So the, the way that we overcome those, you know, some of those barriers is to um, provide transport for girls, but not for boys. Um, so that they're, it's safe for them to get to um, get to skate stand. We provide all of our um, all all of our education for free, and um, we we prioritise the girls over the over the boys. With also following up with the families and doing home visits, but we do those just for the girls. So we, we provide transport for the girls, and we we do home visits with the girls but not for the boys so that means that even we we managed to have half of our half our half of our students uh, are female globally and half of our students in afghanistan are are um are girls but we put probably 80 percent of our resources on the ground towards getting that the the, the number to 50 percent so there's there's Big barriers that we need to um, get across, but uh, that we need to overcome. But having the contact with the the parents, explaining to them um, the 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 reasons why it's important that their children access education, and then making it safe for the girls to be able to travel to school and and back home again, um, uh, is a is a formula that works. Wow. How did you identify Cambodia and South Africa as the as your other two places that you're working in? Um, it was it was quite an early early process. So um, Cambodia really came from the fact that I was only based in based in Kabul, and um, I didn't know whether we'd be able to keep on keep on operating in Afghanistan because it was so such a difficult place to place to work. 
And um, there were some programs. Um, there was uh, Guy Benji from France who was re- uh, working in an NGO in Phnom Penh, and he wanted to incorporate some skateboarding programs there. And uh, that's how we that's how we started in in Cambodia, and grew that out um, simply because I was scared that I wouldn't be able to continue Skaterstan um, because it was so difficult to work in in Afghanistan overall. Um, Africa was a little bit more strategic, um, into, and it came a little, uh, South Africa came uh, further along. It was about uh, seven years after we stepped uh, in, in in Afghanistan, and uh, that was wanting to seeing the need on the African or as a place of stability that we could grow. Um, create as a hub and uh, be able to then uh, spread to other parts of the, the African continent. Wow. Do, do you have plans to, to spread to more countries? Yes. I mean, over the, over the next 10 years, we've got um, six skate schools, that, um, additional ones that we want to, we want to build. And um, the next ones for us uh, are going to be in, in Bamiyan, um, in central Afghanistan, and then after that, um, oops, you cut out for a second there. Hello? Yeah, I just got you back. Cool. Okay. Um, uh, so Jordan will be the first. A place for us in the in the Middle East because um, Afghanistan is technically Central Asia, um, and uh, so we'll uh, yeah we, that, that's that's also then uh, a big challenge for us in terms of being able to work in a, an Arabic speaking um, country. Wow, I Southeast Asia has a special place in my heart. It's uh, a place I've gone over and over and over again. Uh, I loved the time that I spent in Cambodia. And so I was like particularly interested in that content, like flipping through the social media and stuff that you guys post. And I saw this really cool post where there were, I guess you had some deaf students in, in Cambodia and they even like came up with, I guess the Cambodian sign for, for skateboarding there. Yeah, we've had a, we've had a really exciting, um, uh, disabled program in uh, Afghanistan, uh, especially with deaf students, and we we uh, we created a partnership with uh, a deaf school in Phnom Penh, Krusat uh, May, and that was then uh, that that program was was very successful, and they were um, there was no word in Khmer sign language for skateboarding. So they, they, they created it and um, that, that's actually added to the, the sign dic- dictionary. So that's, uh, that's really, really exciting. And um, the, the professional skateboarder, Sky Brown, who's an 11-year-old who will be um, competing for the, uh, for the UK at the, in the Olympics um, for, for Britain, um, she actually has that um, sign drawn on her uh, pro model skateboard on the on the top of it. Um, she she visited um, Phnom Penh and Skaterstan and and went to the went to the deaf school and and skate skateboard with the kids there and it, it had such a 
such an impact on her that uh, yeah, it's it's I think it's a I think it's an incredible incredible story and it's been a really really big success. And at the moment, we've got um, around 170, 170 disabled students as part of our programs weekly um, globally. Um, but uh, we we want to grow grow that um, over the over the next ten years to actually being twenty percent of our of our uh, of our overall students. Wow, you know I I, th- I probably said this at the outset, but when I communicated with Jessica, I was telling her that. Uh, I work in education, so obviously, like this isn't my gig. This is what I do as a pleasure project. Um, but I, I have about ten years in in the game in education, and even here in the states, there are still so many people that are trying to like sort of find the magic bullet of sorts, right? Like find the thing or the model that will work uh, in terms of providing education for people from disadvantaged environments. And I would imagine that you also have to sort of deal with it's sort of if, if anyone's read the book, The Ugly American, the theme of that was uh, that your um, incursion into another country will never be successful if you don't actually understand the culture of that, that country. So in addition to trying to combat uh, potentially poverty um, and provide a good education, you're also having to have like an intimate knowledge of the specific cultural context that the kids are coming from in these different countries and maybe even regionally or even by neighborhood. So I'm wondering like what maybe you can point to as the source of your success uh, in your educational model. I think a big, I think a big part of it comes from uh, a sharing that is occurring and the, the the sharing starts definitely on the on the skateboard. Um, that was something that I I felt very very early on, simply on the streets of Kabul, as a lone foreigner that doesn't didn't really speak Dari, and uh, I was you know on my by myself on the streets of Kabul with a skateboard, and uh, you put the skateboard down, and within minutes I'd have big groups of people around me or kids that were um, interested in, in what the what the skateboard was. And without being able to even communicate with each other, um, I was able to show them what a skateboard was and get them to, to stand on it and they fall off and I fall off. And we've got a we've got some sort of bond. We've got some sort of connection. And I think another part of it is the the fun. I mean, that was something that has glued me to a to a skateboard for the the last forty years. Um, initially, trying that skateboard from my cousin and falling off straight away, and just feeling, oh, oh goodness, this is uh, this is this is something that's really hard. This is something that's also really really fun. I want to I want to master it, and then not yeah, not being able to do that over. A, I certainly haven't uh, haven't mastered skateboarding in any 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 sense, um, but the the element of the element of fun I think is is really really important because for me going to school was was fun and I don't think that that's the case for 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 many many children 
it, it, it might only be 20% of, of kids, I think, from my classes that, that I, when I, when I was growing up and going to school, actually thought school was, was fun and great. And uh, I think that school should be fun for everybody and finding a way to, to do that because um, learning is a, learning is, is so special and so important to, to each of the, to each of us, um, having that element is, is, is important. And I think that that's also what makes it as what makes us a success in a place like Afghanistan is that the kids have so much fun at Skaterstan, even when their parents tell them that they're not allowed to go and their brothers and sisters try to stop them from attending Skaterstan or doing things that are outside of what they would normally be doing. The kids kick and scream and do whatever they can to try to get back to Skaterstan because it's fun and they're the drivers of the, the success. So as long as we can keep on making sure that um, the education that we're providing is, is relevant to them, is interesting to them and is fun for them, then um, I think that that's, that, that's, a, that's a way that you can overcome that, uh, the, the economic um, uh, barrier, the, the poverty question, and also the, also the cultural question. Every, every parent in the world wants to see their kid happy, and um, that, that's, that, that's something that uh, crosses, all, crosses all cultures. Wow. That's really cool. Um... I, I've a bit embarrassed to say I haven't seen this yet, but I've got it in the queue to watch here with uh, with my girlfriend while we're on lockdown. But the Learning to Skate in a War Zone documentary is an award-winning documentary, and I've seen a, a couple of clips from it. But what is the connection to Skatistan? Is it actually about your schools? Yeah, the the um, the documentary um, Learning to Skateboard in the War Zone if you're a girl um, was was made by A and E um, from from the US, and uh, it's been very very successful. Um, yeah, winning at winning at Tribeca and then the BAFTA and also getting an Oscar, which is really amazing. And it 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 basically covers a class of back to school students, um, girl uh, a female class of back to school students in Kabul. And uh, over over a year, and they're they're going through their uh, yeah. This is this is our program to ready children for for um, the the regular the regular school, and um, it shows them learning to skateboard and and what they also learn in the learn in the classroom and the the relationships between the teachers and the yeah how how. How, how they how they develop it's a it's a short film of 40 minutes and um yeah it's been it was it was really really well made and we're really proud to to have our um have our organization and have our story um told in such a masterful way yeah congrats for that man like i was wondering um have the have the kids who who are featured in it have they seen the documentary yeah um the 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 doc, the documentary link has been has been shared with the with the kids. We we're really sensitive about showing the film in Afghanistan overall, so there hasn't been any um, 
public um, public screenings or releases, and um, we really want to uh, uh, because we don't, we're worried that there'd be some sort of backlash or, um, or potential danger that students or staff could could be in from from that. So um, it's a it's a double edged sword. There's there's very it's very exciting to you know, have this fantastic film and for it to win an Oscar and get a whole lot of uh, publicity around it. But um, that publicity could also be, potentially be, be dangerous to, to our programs and to our, our staff and students in a, in a place like Afghanistan. Wow. So, um, yeah, it's a, a tricky one to navigate, but the, the, the staff and students in the, in the film have, uh, have been able to, able to see it. It sounds like you've... They're, they're excited about it. That, that's, that's something very exciting for them. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> I mean, that's amazing. It, it sounds like you've been very mindful of that. Have you, have you over the years faced any resistance to either the skateboarding component or to putting kids into education? There's, I mean, there's, there's huge uh, pushes against. Um, we we talked a little bit earlier about the barriers that girls face. Yeah. I mean, this is this is something that happens on a weekly basis where um, um, somebody thinks that um, a girl shouldn't uh, do sport or skateboard or um, go to school, and they need to they need to try really hard to make make it happen and and we do we do as well we haven't faced any direct attacks um against against skaters then uh luckily um we we just have to be uh we have to be as we have to be as careful as careful as possible and um there, there have been there have been staff and students that have been killed in suicide attacks, but nothing to do with. Oh my God. They're simply at the wrong place at the wrong time. And uh, since we started operating in Afghanistan, there's been over 2000 suicide attacks in the city. So it's a, it's a very difficult environment in which to work. And wow. we're, we're fully, fully aware of, uh, fully aware of that. But um, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's important for us to, um, yeah, work within this very difficult environment as safely as possible. Wow. I mean, it, honestly, it just goes to show you also just like the need for, for what you're providing, if that's the type of a setting that kids are, are growing up in. Uh, are, your, are your teachers all local or do you take teachers from like some sort of international program? Uh, at all of our skate schools, all of the staff are national staff. So we've handed over the, the skate schools in Afghanistan, in Cambodia, in, in South Africa. Um, and so we, we, we have a, we have a headquarters in Berlin, in Germany. And that's the, that's where our, our international staff are, are either in, in Germany or, or remote. And, um, that's, that's, a that's a good formula for sustainability and for success on the ground. So we had to um, capacity build with our, with our staff on, on the ground, but a lot of the, a lot of, uh, a lot of the success comes from um, many of the staff actually being skater stand students themselves and uh, graduating, you know, from our, from our programs and uh, it's, it's changed their life. And they're really motivated to to change the lives of 
the other other children that have come from similar similar backgrounds, and that also allows them to really have a, a keen understanding of the difficulties that these children face and be able to navigate. Um, to be able to empathise with with them and to give them the the right right type of support that they need. Um, our students come predominantly from very very poor backgrounds, and so seventy percent of our staff in Kabul are actually former students. So that's uh, wow. That's, uh, they, they they're the they're the best ones to to navigate that very difficult environment and to to create the yeah, create the right right results. I'm not sure what the climate is in other places, but like right now in the States, I think if there's any sort of silver lining that comes out of the whole uh, coronavirus crisis right now is that um, initially people didn't necessarily know if like a government stimulus package would come or they were just unwilling to wait for it. And so what you're seeing is a lot of like, Communities rallying together to support mom and pop shops, you know, local restaurants, artisans, um, people who are freelancers, and that's either through direct support or through buying merch or through crowdfunding and things like that. Uh, and I think that there's been a spotlight on those things, and now people are starting to think of like, all right, if I do have extra money, like who might be in need of that? I would imagine that you're largely funded through donors in the citizen program. So I was wondering if you could briefly talk about what the citizen program is and sort of like what the tiers of giving are. So, um, yeah, we're, we're supported in, uh, various different ways, um, from individuals, um, from companies and, uh, from foundations and then governments. And uh, we 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 want to have a, a broad a broad mix of support. Um, so individuals can uh, join our Citizens of Skaterstan program, which is a, a monthly donor. To, if once you become a monthly donor with a minimum of ten dollars a month, uh, you become a citizen of Skaterstan, and you get a you get a special newsletter every every month, and. Um, there's uh, lots of other lots of other benefits that are that are associated with with that, and that's um, people can join that at different levels. So um, certain certain individuals are able to to support it at a much higher level uh, monthly, and uh, that that's been a really successful uh, way of um, allowing. Sport for development um, type foundations that that get involved. There's skateboard companies that support us. Um, we we have uh, sponsorships from all different types of companies that we can uh, that we can utilise um, services that they uh, that they that they provide can be uh, can be useful can be useful to us. So. If anybody uh, has an idea of how how um, how they'd like to to support Skaterstan, I encourage you to yeah check out the check out the Skaterstan uh, film, learning to skateboard in the war zone. If you're a girl, see a little bit more in depth in, in what we're doing, and um, it'd be fantastic to to get um, 
uh, to get support from from individuals that are that are listening to this podcast. Yeah, awesome. And I'm uh, I'm signing up today, and I'll do something as of this point in the podcast. People listening, you already know, but I'll talk about something in the intro where I'll do. If someone signs up for like the ten dollar tier, I'll put you into a lottery to get podcast shirt or something like that. So, uh, but you likely already know about that. Um, yeah, man, like this is this is so cool. I think it's a model that could be replicated. Like if if people have other skills or interest areas, um, I saw like there's there's some your kids play basketball too at some of your schools, but you know, maybe it's not skateboarding, but maybe someone wants to do something similar somewhere else. I think this is a really amazing thing that you started that I would love to see spread throughout the world, either through Skatistan um, or wh- whomever's doing something different with a, with a different interest or skill. Um, how, in, in addition to what you mentioned, how else can people uh, learn about you guys, uh, social media platforms and stuff like that? How about we blast those out? Yeah, so we're uh, we're on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter, and there's lots of uh, lots of updates on there all of the time, and that's just at Skaterstan, so at S K A T E, and then um, our website is skaterstan.org, and. Uh, yeah, we're, we're there's also uh, there's also a group on on LinkedIn, um, various various other platforms as well. So um, primarily, uh, a lot of people a lot of people follow us on on Instagram, and it's a great way to yeah see what see what we do and and stay in touch stay in touch with us and stay stay up updated. Um, something else that we um, do is. We've seen since Skater Stand started a lot of other um, social skateboard projects pop up all around the world, and uh, just as you were you were mentioning before, it, it can the, the things that we've learnt can be applied in other areas by other people, and um, we've we've started something called uh, the Good Push Alliance, and that is a website, uh, Good Push as one word, .org, and uh, on there you'll find a whole lot of resources where we're basically sharing everything that we know and how we work, and um, I, I hope that um, people can find some some useful information on there in terms of running a, a, a skateboard project or perhaps something, uh, another activity that um, could work in the same way that Skater Stand does. Ah, oh, that's amazing. I'll link to that as well. I just pulled that up. That's so cool. Um, yeah, Oliver, this was a really fascinating. I'm really glad that you uh, you shared your story. I hope everyone goes and checks you guys out and donates and follows along. I think this is a really important work. So uh, kudos to you, man. Um, yeah, really, really cool stuff. Thank, thank you so much for, uh, for your interest, Tim. And um, I'm, I was really excited to, to be on the be on the podcast and I really encourage everybody to yeah join the join the family become a citizen of Skaterstan that is a wrap on episode number 147 of the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast thank you so much to Oliver for coming on this episode I love this conversation I think it's fascinating I think Skaterstan is a really really cool organization so again if you can support in any way that'd be amazing But if not, give them a follow, 
give them a shout, send them a message, and let them know that they're doing some really amazing work. Thank you to all of you, as always, Voyagers. I hope you're staying safe during these crazy times. Thank you for continuing to listen and to support the podcast. I'll be right back soon with a new episode. So until then, please take care of each other. I will catch you next time.